Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 38. Hey guys, happy Monday. We are doing an expert interview today with my friend Gail Tolley. She came on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast uh, a few months ago. Her first episode aired, and this is part two of two uh, with Gail. In her first episode, which was episode 17, if you want to go back and listen to that first one, we talked about how she started spinning babies, um, ample fetal positioning for labor, exercises, movements, tips you can do during pregnancy that will help you hopefully achieve an easier labor. We talked about breech babies and turning breech babies and just some other positional type questions. And then this episode, we are talking about inductions, V-backs, belly mapping, and just any last tips that she has for moms. If you guys aren't familiar with spinning babies, um, I love them, and I try to bring them up and share them as much as I can. They're all through my birth courses. Um, I'm just a big, big fan of their work and everything that they do. So Gail Tully is the creator of Spinning Babies. And the spinning babies approach is recognized around the world by midwives, nurses, childbirth educators, and doulas. Gail's ability to recognize the spatial relationships between the soft tissue pelvis and has contributed to a huge shift in childbirth care. It's something that we incorporate like specifically on our floor, a lot of a lot of the nurses that I work with have taken the spinning babies classes that they offer and are educated in spinning babies technique, which is super awesome. Um, not only the nurses that work on, a, on the floor with me, but the patients ultimately. You know, ultimately, if we're educated in better approaches to managing labor, we can help you guys achieve better births. So Gail came on a second time today and we talked about all of these other questions and guys, she's just a wealth of information. Like I can't, I can't stress how much I'm just in love with her and just everything that she does and everything that she's created. So without further ado, let's get into Gail's second episode on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. Hi, Gail. Welcome back to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You're my first uh, repeat <laughs> guest that I've had. So welcome back for second, you know, part two to this awesome, awesome discussion about spinning babies. I'm so happy to have you here. 
Thank you for having me back, Lisa. I enjoyed it so much the first time. It's great to be back. Yeah, we have lots, lots to talk about <laughs> regarding spinning babies and physiological births. So we decided to split it up into two sessions. I feel like that that makes it better, easier on everybody too. So for those of you that haven't uh, listened to the first episode, Gail, can you just start by telling listeners just a little bit about yourself? Just you know, briefly, sure. kind of tell about yourself and where you're from and all that good stuff. Thank you, Lisa. I'm a midwife from Minnesota, Midwest, (laughs) Minneapolis, Minnesota, midwife. Lots of (laughs) apps. And the creator of Spinning Babies, an approach to physiological birth that helps comfort in pregnancy and easier childbirth, looking at fetal positioning and, you know, basically going with body balancing, gravity and movement, new birth positions. Um, And we're having great success with parents and nurses and midwives looking at our approach and having the births that they intended to have and more physiological connections to their bodies and their babies. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, awesome. This session, we have a few questions here. I think this this one might be a little bit shorter than our first one, but we'll see. Um, so this first question is about inductions. And so basically, you know, inductions are becoming more and more common here, at least here in the U.S., I feel like. First off, Gail, I, wanted, I want you to tell me your kind of thoughts on inductions in general and how we can still incorporate spinning babies, you know, all of your methodologies and all of your ideologies during an induced labor? Well, thank you, Liesl. That's a very important question because how we're born is very important. We are learning all the time. As humans, we learn in the womb. We learn through the birth process. And we learn when we learn a lot about social connection and our value in our family by how we're born and how we're greeted. Yeah. And so when we think about the process of childbirth, we're considering today induction or an artificial start of childbirth as opposed, I suppose, Mm -hmm. uh, or in comparison with a physiological start of birth Mm -hmm. where the body's own abilities start the labor. So we have a spectrum because it's not a switch. It's very rarely... like a situation where an artificial induction from um, medicine, a pharmaceutical turns labor on like a switch. That can happen. Right. Um, But usually it's quite a process because we're trying to jumpstart nature and nature has a reason for starting when it does. Mm -hmm. So our reason for induction better be stronger than nature's, uh, Intention. (laughs) Yes. Like we can have two things. We can have we're starting labor because of an idea. Yeah. Or we're starting labor because of proven medical indications. Right. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is which. Right. So I'm going to prioritize physiological onset of labor. It would be called onset of labor, start of labor by the However, that happens. And physiological means with the body's own abilities. 
I prioritize that because when we can support physiology, we have safer outcomes. Mm-hmm. Now, it's funny to think that, well, there might be a medical indication for starting labor that has some medical risks. So we're doing something because medically it seems important to do to reduce risks, but it carries with it its own risks. Right. And that's the truth because it's not so simple as we would like to, well, let's not say it's about us liking to believe, but it can be presented as a very systematic, sensible thing to schedule an induction of labor. Mm-hmm without a clear understanding of what are the side effects or what are, what's the process. Like this might take days. Yeah. And And it often does. (laughs) And would nature have the baby come within that time period? There are situations where it's important for the baby to come because the baby's maybe not getting the oxygen or nutrition from the placenta. Right. The, uh, pregnant person or the baby has really significant and proven health issues. And then there's the idea that if the baby is born early, the baby won't be as big and that'll make an easier birth. And that has scientifically been proven to be a wrong assumption. Right. (laughs) That's because a smart person can think of an idea doesn't make that idea a reality. It doesn't Very always true. In a lot of areas in life, not yeah. just birth. <laughs> and why is that? Because we're not machines. Right. You know, if we were a basketball hoop and the baby was a ball and we're trying to get the ball through the basketball hoop, well, then a smaller ball will fit through the hoop with right. more dirty than a bigger ball. Right. But our pelvis is mobile and it's not static like a hoop in basketball. And our baby is got a moldable head and a head that can flex or extend. So it's not all, it's not the same size in every direction. Right. The baby's head is not a ball. And so what we started to talk about in the first episode, and we want to continue is prioritizing body balance. If we, if we can enhance and optimize our own body structures mm-hmm. so that they're the way nature intended, not too tight, not too loose, not too twisty, we're right. in body balance, then the baby can find the space available in the pelvis for the back of the head, the crown of the head. If we put our hands on our head and tuck our chin, mm-hmm. it's that round part where we might see a little cap mm-hmm. on, on somebody's head. Um, when that comes in contact with the cervix or when the fascia is in balance, so there's circulation, hormonal circulation to and from the ovaries and the to and from the receptors for oxytocin in the uterus, uh, there's good hormonal conversation from the baby's adrenals to the pregnant person's, their parents' brain. You know, all these yeah. things are communicating. That happens better when the baby's chin is tucked the baby's fitting in the space available in balance, then, then the body flows. And the inside of the cervix is stimulated by the baby's own head. And we see the baby coming into the pelvis, coming down on the cervix. And that is another way of helping the hormonal communication between the mother and baby work well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to prioritize body balance and say, let's 
start that in labor. Even some people start it before pregnancy. Yeah. Keep it going through pregnancy. Do it when we're wondering when labor is going to start or when we hear that there's thoughts of an induction. Mm-hmm. And then during the early parts of the induction, all the way through to pushing, we can add body balance. We can use positions, either rest smart positions in pregnancy, birth positions in, in, in labor, so that we're releasing what's too tight, supporting what's too loose, untwisting what might be twisted like a ligament to the cervix that can get a bit of a twist from an accident, a bike or car accident, or, or from sports, yeah. as we talked about last episode. So therefore, the two bodies work together, they're in their dancing positions, the contractions will begin more timely and more appropriate for their health. That's what I would hope. Now, culturally, we have the challenge of, let's see, because we don't, you know, a recent study said there aren't more babies dying at 39 weeks from induction than at 40 weeks. The ARRIVE study, (laughs) yes. Yeah, so just because they're not dying doesn't mean they're in more optimal health or that it's a more optimal experience for the mother-baby to dance. Are they having... You know, each week the baby's brain develops more until there's a point, you know, past sometime past 42 weeks where it's not getting better, it's getting strained. And right. even most babies born at 42 to 43 weeks are healthy. Yeah. Um, but there, but there's more challenges then. So they, you know, in the beginning, they were like, okay, if pregnancy goes on too long, let's induce. Mm-hmm. Because those babies as a group have more issues. Now, my mother and my sister and my sister's uh, second baby were all proven 10-month pregnancies. Wow, yeah. And there's something about the hormones running in my family. I didn't have a 10-month pregnancy myself. Mm-hmm. But my sister, because she had a very early duodenal bypass. Mm. She was watched very carefully during her pregnancy. In fact, they didn't want her to continue the pregnancy. And she did. And so they knew her dates very well. And she she actually went 10 months. But my mother did with her. So it wasn't because of the surgery she went long. It's a family thing. But they could prove that she had a 10-month pregnancy. Hmm. And um, her baby was born at the same size the rest of us were. And, you know looking like the rest of us. So, um, more or less. And I don't want to scare anybody that, Hey, everybody's going to have 10 months pregnancies. Most people don't have 10 month pregnancies. Most people go over their due dates, but no, you know, the thing is, is that as a home birth midwife helping, you know, privileged women who had good nutrition, right. had good medical care, uh, relatively easy lives. Right although modern stresses, of course. Yeah. But what we saw was that most people were going into labor at 41 weeks and one day, or yeah. 41 weeks and three days. And in that 48-hour period, most of the home birth families were giving birth for their first babies. Yeah. Um, 
But nowadays in the medical world, inductions are at 40 weeks and now at 39 weeks. And so we're two weeks early for that baby. Now it's still, the baby's still considered full term, right? which means the lungs are working for air when the baby comes out, the baby will be able to breathe air. But there's so much more to life than one body function. There's the brain development. There's more ease in breastfeeding. There's more ease in longer sleeping. And you're just more mature, you know? More mature. Right. If a baby chooses to come early, a little early, like at 39 weeks instead, we see that too. And that's a part of the dance between that mother baby. When babies are born too early and they do have medical need for breathing or they're, they have some struggles due to that. That's what we want to avoid. We want a baby to be in a healthy womb environment longer. Now that's a funny way to say it, but that's sort of a medical way of saying it. The mother and baby, the pregnant person and their child, they are, when they are supported socially and nutritionally and with movement, body balance, all those four things together are important. Social support, nutritional support, body movement, and body balance. Yeah, Those are four keys. And um, when I say nutrition for the, for the baby that seems like the baby could come early, I mean more protein, more green vegetables, more water, salt to taste, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily a ton of calories, no, but not some of the diets that women are put on Real food <laughs> right. are bad, you know, right. Mm-hmm. Or they eat some salt. doesn't mean that we have to have French fries. Right. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what would you say, I guess, if somebody is, knows that they have to be induced, you know, they're getting induced in a few days for preeclampsia, you know, a medical or some other kind of, you know, true well, pre-eclampsia, I'm going to say, start the diet now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yes, that's in touch with your doctor. No, I, no, I would agree um, with you on that. There's two things about induction. Yeah. From, from the parent's point of view, from my experience as a doula and a midwife. And first of all, we, in my 30 years, we had one induction due to high blood pressure. Um, and that was somebody who had a liver ailment, a pre-existing liver disease. Mm-hmm. And they got a sudden weight gain, uh, 13 pounds in several days. Mm-hmm. And they wow. were uncomfortable and they stopped in at the doctors. They were going to go shopping and I suggested they stop in at the doctors. Mm-hmm. And then they were induced the next day for... You know, their blood pressure went up. They got pain in their ears and, yeah. and started seeing flashing in their eyes. It comes on suddenly. And it's an emergency. And we go take care of that immediately. Don't yeah. delay. Don't go shopping first. No. <laughs> go to the doctor first. Um, another mother I helped was having twins. And I was her doula. And her blood pressure was up. Her urine was the color of of um, iced tea it's very brown Uh, and um her liver enzymes were not looking too healthy on the test so the doctor sent us from the appointment over to the hospital and the doctor said to me um and furthermore i can tell 
you're not eating. She's looking at me, but she's saying you're not eating because, you know, of the outcome of these tests. So um, as we got in the elevator to go to the hospital, I said to the mother, do you suppose she looked at me to say that because she wants me to stop and get you some food? It was one in the afternoon. She hadn't eaten yet. Right. It's under a very particular stress that made this uh, understandable. Let me just have compassion for what she was going through and invite people to just not think about the why so much as here's the situation. Mm -hmm. So we stopped at a nutritional food co-op, got a 50 gram shake uh, while she was drinking water, 16 ounces of water on the way, uh, uh, 50 grams of protein in one shake with spinach in it and garlic garlic for her blood pressure, uh, a raw egg, which normally people would probably avoid in pregnancy. Yeah. And, um, and then she had uh, a spinach beet juice, and then we had more water and more protein. Mm-hmm. And we were probably, she had all that, and we were still to the hospital in like within 30 or 40 minutes. Her condition stabilized so quickly that she was sent home that day and she avoided the cesarean. Wow. We set up her family members to keep her eating at 120 grams of protein every day, plus a a pinch of salt and water and um, some nutrition, other kinds of nutrition like vitamin C and, and, um, she, she went 10 more days and went into labor on her own. Wow. And it's crazy. It was quite a, yes, I did similar things with other people. So really when, when I say that we had one induction for high blood pressure, uh, I mean, really only had one induction for high blood pressure. Wow. But I would go to their homes and cook if I needed to. Yeah. And following the Dr. Brewer diet, which is now, you know, it's a little bit older diet. There'd be mm-hmm. additions and changes. There was additions and changes that we made at the time, mm-hmm. but it's still online of, at Blue Ribbon Baby. Is it, what is it called? The Brewer Diet? BlueRibbonBaby.org. BlueRibbonBaby.org. .org okay. is important. Okay. <laughs> important. And, uh, and there's more, you know, today we, you know, by the way, we have pregnancy week by week pages. Mm-hmm. We have more nutritional uh, information and links there. One of our trainers, Rhea Williams, is a nutritionist. And, um, you know, so there's more up-to-date information, but I'm, tell, I'm sharing the stories that I experienced in my midwifery. And um, so we worked very closely with the doctors because it's very important not to have ideology. You mentioned, you know, what's your philosophy and your ideology? It's okay to have a philosophy, but it's dangerous to have an ideology because ideology is when we put our thoughts and our assumptions before our physiology. Very true. And our physiology is how we feel in our body. Now with preeclampsia, you don't necessarily feel ill until you feel better and you can compare it. High blood pressure sneaks up. It's a silent danger right so we don't go by how we feel physically that's not what i mean by physiology but i'm talking about the emotional safety when a parent has to be induced for medical reason they are suddenly 
presented with a change of plans that can feel very disempowering. Yeah. And it can feel alarming and it can feel dangerous and stressful. Yeah. And yet this advice is coming from the person that they chose to help them avoid danger in their childhood. Yeah. So there's a, bit of a conflict there and the, the it's important to spend a little time um, acknowledging the two different pulls on the person and say okay this is what I was feeling this is what I was planning this is what I was hoping and this is what I was expecting mm-hmm. now there's a change what's what's the need here there's multiple needs. There's the need to feel like you have control of your life. There's a need to protect your baby. There's a need to have a relationship with the people that you picked out to help you. Mm-hmm. So before we go into an ideological strategy, we want to just take a breath and look at what all the needs are in the situation. And yeah. then from those needs and talking about those needs, which is a great Thing to have a mature doula for a doula that's been around the block handle these things that can or just simply has a perspective that ideology isn't helpful right and this is all about the parents choice and the parents journey um to open up the open up the conversation so that some of the needs that aren't primary might get met. For instance, a person who's being induced, but maybe this person didn't want an epidural, but now they're going to be having an induction and, and everybody's saying, well, if you have Pitocin, you have to have an epidural because they go ahead and have. No, that's not necessarily true. That's true when you have no skills for physiological birth support right. or you have some situation where the epidural becomes a tool. But we can stay as close to physiologic physiology as the parent can in their situation and they desire to explore. So, so it's reframing the situation, mm-hmm. finding as many of the needs to be continued to be met. Like, well, you can still have a personalized birth. You can still talk to your baby and say, baby, we're going to be going through this event. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to hurry you, but let's do what's best for you. Yeah. You know, and, and also to talk to the care providers and say, is this the best thing? Mm-hmm. Like if, if we're saying, oh, is it truly a best thing? Yeah. Because there's three things. There's one that's just convenience. Any, you know, it's 6 p.m. on a Friday. Right. That's a high risk for a cesarean in a busy hospital. Right. Um, unfortunately, that is true. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, we, a hospital is a business. Right. So there's a, there's a profit margin to be met, and, and practice can follow that. Now, that doesn't mean every doctor feels that way. Right. But it means that the doctor might be disempowered from physiological options. So the parents need to bring in their physiological options, which could be learning about spinning babies, learning about breathing, mm-hmm. um, learning about body-mind, learning maybe they do some hypno-babies, hypno-birthing. Right. Maybe they have a doula. Right. You know, there, there's different things that parents can do to cope better and to 
for, with spinning babies, make room for their babies. So when they have the induction, the, at least there isn't tight muscles that the pitocin or, or synthetic oxytocin synthesis right. is trying to push the baby down against a tight muscle. Right. We've made everything supple with our, you know, our quick techniques and our preparation, whatever the parent has available. Okay. What are the needs around the birth environment, the pacing, the conversation with the care provider? Mm -hmm. It's always better to put out the needs and say, how can we meet these needs? Now, this is the primary need, the health of the baby, the mother, the person giving birth. The secondary needs around this emotional safety, which is pretty primary in in reality, because it's your whole life is, is happening here. Yeah. And, but, you know, to the provider's point of view is like, let's save your vital signs first and your emotions second, Mm -hmm. but what can we do to help those emotions? And sometimes it's very simple. Like let's pace this in a way where you communicate to me what you're thinking Mm-hmm. what you're about to do some parents like that some parents don't want to be bothered with that it's okay right. to be on either side of that need um, how can the birthing person the birthing parent and the baby be reunited never separated or be reunited does it mean a change of routine can we ask for individualized change of routine the nurse, the doctor, the midwife, they want to be the parent's hero. They want to be part of an empowering birth experience. So ask. Don't assume that it's it's going to be uncomfortable for them. Ask them in a way that joins. Like if you had a friend helping you prepare for a party, you wouldn't bark orders at them or you wouldn't not tell them what you want. Either one of them is going to be a breakdown communication. So you know, what can make this experience more nurturing to the birth giver and more nurturing to the baby? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you for all of that on induction. That was a lot. Um, the, another question that I get from moms, um, obviously so is about VBACs and we want, you know, VBACs are great. You know, VBACs are wonderful and I love to promote VBACs, you know, when they are safe. So I guess I want to know from you if there are really any differences or any special considerations that you would recommend to these moms who are planning a VBAC or is it all, you know, kind of the same, uh, kind of all the same things that we've talked about in episode one and now, you know, with inductions too. And we will get right back into Gail's episode today after a quick break from this week's sponsor, which is spinning babies. The word spinning in spinning babies means how babies move through the pelvis to find the most space to come down. What makes birth easier for baby is what makes birth easier for mom. The spinning baby's mission is to make physiological birth more accessible to birthing people and providers alike. For instance, they believe that being head down is only half the story. How baby's head enters the top of the pelvis correlates with the length of labor and ease of labor. When facing forward, a first baby may not be able to rotate for a day or two. 
They offer daily activities to add comfort in pregnancy now and ease in labor later. And I personally do their daily essentials video every single day. And I do inversions every single day. And I'm 35 weeks right now, guys. <laughs> Firm believer in, this, in these daily essentials. So the daily essentials video is the easiest way to learn the habits and moves. Starting in mid-pregnancy is ideal, which is about when I started. I was about 20 weeks. The parent class video or an in-person parent class for late pregnancy has a lot of labor tips and techniques for comfort and also helps parents learn how to stay on track to help avoid cesareans simply because baby is not aiming into the pelvis. Spinning babies helps being born easier. You can visit their website at www.spinningbabies.com for all their products. In addition, I like to share this other product that they have specifically. It's called Helping Your Breech Baby Turn eBook. And this is for anybody who currently has a breech baby and maybe they're getting further along in their pregnancy and they're wondering if there's anything they can do to turn. And absolutely, yes, this is like the number one resource that I tell everyone who DMs me at this question. So does your doctor or midwife require baby to be head down before labor? Do they cesarean birth for all breaches? Are you pregnant and hoping to avoid surgery? Then the Helping Your Breach Baby Turn ebook is for you. Prepare for an easier childbirth with this ebook, a self-directed six-day program for pregnant parents with a breech baby developed by certified professional midwife, Gail Tully who is on the podcast today. Listeners of the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast can use the code MOMMY15, that's M-O-M-M-Y 15, on the Spinning Babies online shop, which is at www.spinningbabies.com. And you can save 15% on your purchase of the Helping Your Breach Baby Turn ebook. And now let's get right back into Gail's episode. Well, Liesl, vaginal birth after cesarean or VBAC is... Mm -hmm. Dear to my heart. Yeah. I love to empower the person who is told that they're outside of the norm. Right. I was very fortunate in attending births with midwives who um, they didn't treat the birth differently. Right. And uh, as I grew in awareness of spinning babies, I found that most often the extra special care was the healing of the, I would call it almost a curse that there's something wrong with this person's body. Mm. So let's reframe the, the message and find the empowerment of my body is okay. The other part of it is that sometimes structurally, there can be a difference that led to cesarean the first time. Right. And both of those things can be a situation that a parent has to address. Now, let's say there's a parent that had a cesarean for a breech baby. They never got to go into labor. They were, the cesarean was done at 39 weeks. And yet with their second pregnancy, as they get close to term, they start to have thoughts of, will my body work? Mm-hmm. There was nothing broken in their body. Right. They have just as great a chance as anybody else. Right. If they, baby, in the earlier episode, we talked about breach and body imbalance. 
if they address those body imbalances, they have an even better chance yeah. for their people. It's a second baby. It does, it's, not a, it's not like pushing out first baby until we get to the perineum. Right. And Even if you've not labored at all, it's, it still goes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I typically see improvement yeah. because it's a second set of, you know, it's the second time the body's gone through the hormones. Right. Now, if somebody had a long labor, three-day labor, posterior baby, acyclitic baby, yeah. and maybe a long pushing stage and had a cesarean, now, two things can happen. This baby may just by chance be in a better position and they have a straightforward birth. That's very common. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's also like if there's a, especially if there's a bit of a smaller pelvic outlet, doesn't mean the whole pelvis is smaller, but the pelvic outlet might be closer together than the in pushing was long. Um, we might see a difference there. And that's when to really pay attention to baby's position. So if we've, we didn't add balance the first time, but in the second pregnancy, we do. Mm-hmm. And with a little guidance of an aware practitioner or a certified parent educator, which they can give different types of gap guidance. They're not equal. They're different. Yeah. They're different. But one gives educational help and one can give actual body work help. Yeah. Um, the person might use a chiropractor, osteopath. They might do self-care. I would recommend that for really any VBAC woman because what I find with many, not all, but many women going for a vaginal birth after they were previously given a cesarean is that there's a desire to do something proactive to have control of the outcome. Oh, absolutely. Because they, a lot of them feel like they, it was a, it was a loss of control the first time. It's a loss, yeah. you know, and, and people don't understand people around them often say, Hey, you have a healthy baby, yeah. but there's a loss of the birth process. that's extremely important to, to some people, not everybody. Yeah. Some people are like, Hey, I got out of labor. I got, you know, right. a Tasco and collect $200. Right. But some people that's a loss because we wanted to go through a human experience that we would like a right to and support for. Yeah. And I think for those of us that feel that way, it's very important. And it's a crime to not have that support in American hospitals. Yeah, it is. It's very sad. It's very sad. So I think to kind of sum up that and inductions and everything that we've talked about in the first episode, a good, I guess, proactive thing to do is to be proactive during your pregnancy and be thinking about this stuff. You know, if you're listening and you're 16 weeks pregnant or you're 30 weeks pregnant, be thinking about all of this stuff and and balance and fetal positioning during pregnancy and how we can do these exercises and these movements during pregnancy so we can set ourselves up for an easier birth. Yes, and to enter it into in a nurturing, joyful way rather yeah. than, a, yes. oh, I have to do my homework. And I don't right. Like right. You know, is this a relationship with your body and your baby and have fun with it and yeah. enjoy it, make it fluid, make it moving. You know, the, the thought is that birth has been a natural thing for all these thousands of years mm-hmm. and that if people do nothing, birth will take care of itself. 
Yeah. But, so in, in one idea about feedback is that it was only the care provider's decision that made the cesarean happen. And right. if they would have just made a different decision, it wouldn't have needed to happen. And right. sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not true. Yeah. So we have to have a little discernment and a little self-responsibility to say, what's my part? Well, I have a body. Mm-hmm. It's my part to nurture my body and give it supple muscles, uh, good birth and pregnancy postures so that I'm aligned and I'm open, mm-hmm. uh, good nutrition, good mm-hmm. social support, get a postpartum care plan. And, you know, journaling, whether it's drawing or art journaling or whether it's with words and writing is really an important process. Finding a doula mm-hmm. who really makes an improvement and being willing to change care providers. Yeah, very important. <laughs> mm-hmm, some care providers won't reveal that they're not supportive of VBAC until, you know, it's two or three weeks out from the birth. Yes. And uh, it's really okay to change care providers. And some people have to drive to do that. Yeah, even at, yeah, no, I, I preach that in my courses, that even at 36, 37 weeks, you have options. You know, you're not, you can absolutely go to a different provider at any point, you know, in your pregnancy, right? You can, even if you do have to drive. You can choose those options and you can choose not to have those options. Right. And right. think about, a year from now, when you look back at this time, what would you be sure that you did what you could do right. that you feel good about? Yeah. Um, not to the point of suffering, but to right. the point that you feel good about it right. a year from now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, that's a good wrap up for that, that little, those little two questions. Um, so let's switch gears for just a second and talk about belly mapping. And I think I did a post on this where I talked about belly mapping and you guys a long time ago, but I know a lot of people get confused about this and I know this is something that you guys coined. So can you talk to us about what is belly mapping and yeah, what can we do, you know, to kind of figure out how our babies are in there? (laughs) Yeah. Belly mapping is a trademark phrase that I, it's a process I developed in 2003. Yeah. To help actually to help doulas. Yeah. Ask the parents questions to, to uh, get some insights to the baby's position. And then, of course, the very same questions the parents can ask themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we think about mapping out the kicks and wiggles that the average parent would feel, the average pregnant parent would feel in their abdomen mm-hmm. in the third trimester of pregnancy. So which side are the kicks on? Which side is smooth and, and firm? Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a practice contraction, the whole uterus will feel smooth and firm. So the person has to lay on, lay on their back, actually, with their knees bent, mm-hmm. take a couple of breaths, and use the pads of their fingers to feel the contours of their baby, and then make a little map. And show the right side and the left side of the abdomen, the top and the bottom of the abdomen, the navel can be in the center. Mm-hmm. And where is the firm, smooth part? Where is a bump? Where is a kick or a wiggle? Mm-hmm. Do they know if the baby's head down? Are they wondering? They can get their in, uh, insights from their care provider. Nowadays, many people are having ultrasounds. So they can compare their belly mat with their ultrasound. And then if it 
the kicks change in a significant way. Let's say the kicks were low and on the left. Mm-hmm. And they've done the body balancing techniques. And now the kicks are high and on the right. That would be a clue that the baby's probably changed positions. Yeah, absolutely. Might be the next day. You know, they might feel the baby turn and they might not. And so belly mapping is a way to get to know the baby too, just to feel the baby in there and think about how they are. To make it less confusing, you can get a doll or a teddy bear mm-hmm. and put it over your belly and put the back where you feel the smooth part and the feet of the toy where you feel the baby kicking. Mm-hmm. Now remember that the baby is on a contour, you know, if the pregnant person feels the kicks, those kicks are going towards the abdomen. Right. So we wouldn't turn the doll with the feet towards the abdomen or the baby would be in a mirror position. Right, right. The baby in the matching position. Right. Um, and so the doll can help visualize the baby. Yeah. And this is a nice little game that you can play. Now, somebody can lay on their back for what, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but yeah. not a lot. So yeah. can try it before falling asleep. Yeah. And just start to get to know the baby's rhythm. And it can become a, a little game to play in the evening. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And how, um, I guess, how many weeks do you recommend that people do this? About? It really depends on the tone of their abdomen. Okay. Um, if there's a placenta between the baby and the abdomen, it's yeah. really hard to tell. The a little deep. harder. But if the um, if not, I would say a lot of first pregnancies you can feel around thirty four to thirty six weeks. Yeah. And after that, it can be earlier. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point to bring up too because belly mapping, at least when I've talked about it to people they're trying to do it a little bit too early and they're like, they just get confused. So really you have to kind of wait until, you know, those later stages of pregnancy. You can kind of get a sense as the baby vertical, yeah. Yeah. diagonal or sideways. And right. we're hoping the baby's vertical by around 26 to 28 weeks and certainly right. by three weeks. Right. And we have a little, we have some discussion on that on the spinningbabies.com website mm-hmm. and also in the pregnancy week by week pages. Cool. And there's a belly mapping book. There's it, there's free information about belly mapping on spinningbabies.com. And there's a belly mapping workbook, and we're hoping to have a download this year. Cool. Very cool. Well, I'll put those in the in the show notes page, too, for people to check out. Oh, well, yeah. Well, this last question is just kind of a general question that I wanted to ask you, Gail, for moms who are listening. If you have any last tips, you know, from all, maybe take any last tips from episode one that we talked about and, you know, now episode two that you have for moms, you know, who are most, most moms listening to this are pregnant are not postpartum. Most, most, I, you know, my audience is mostly pregnant. So what would you say to them? What are your best tips? I would say that the, you know, keep moving, feel your body, you know, in a rhythm of movement for breaths, deep breaths for how you're walking so that yeah. there is a, a harmony to the movement, a flow, mm-hmm. and to move in multiple directions. You know, and whatever happens in birth, wherever you want to take this information, the most important thing is love. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's perfect, Gail. Thank you so much for joining me again. This was a great, 
a great um, follow-up to our first for, to our first episode. Can you just remind listeners where they can find you again if they missed you know the first episode where they can find you on the internet and on social media and any resources? Come come visit us at spinningbabies.com. Yeah. Spinning Babies Facebook, Spinning Babies Instagram, Twitter. Um, look on our spinningbabies.com under the parent resources for a certified parent educator yeah. to take a three-hour class. You can yeah. take it to supplement your childbirth education class or if you're taking that online yeah. to, to take this for in-person yeah. with one of our certified parent educators. And if you want body work to look for a wear practitioner in your area or a pregnancy certified chiropractor or osteopath. And um, we're going to be in Australia in October in mm-hmm. the Sunshine Coast. And yeah, I, I hope to see people around. Yeah, that's awesome. I So spoiler alert. Everybody's going to know once this episode comes out, but I'm actually pregnant again. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing that in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to save it for the end, but um, yeah, I'll be, I'm oh. like 11 weeks right now. So I, oh. I do in like August. So I'm like, oh, I don't think I can make a business trip to uh, with a two month old <laughs> in October to Australia, but man, <laughs> man, that would be great. <laughs> now, what, what state are you in, Lisa? What state? Uh, I'm in uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, that's right. And you, yeah. you saw Tammy Ryan at a Spinning Babies workshop. Yes. Well, when we have a returning approved trainer in North Carolina in July or or early August, you could ask to be a workshop model. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that that would be great. I would love that. Like <laughs> that would be great. No, I'll definitely reach out to you guys and do that because I remember the little girl who came to ours and I was I was just looking at her and I was like, oh, that's that's a cool little spot to be in, <laughs> to be in front you of all know, these people. The nurses of of North Carolina in the um, perinatal perinatal quality care of North Carolina, the picnic nurse group, yeah. had me come out last fall. And all of them have access to a recording of that episode on their picnic website if they scroll down to last October 24th, uh-huh. I think. Um, they'll see me among the other speakers. And um, it's open to all 80 hospitals in North Carolina. Very cool. So all the nurses, labor and delivery nurses of all 80 hospitals in North Carolina. So it's really important for parents to tell their nurses and midwives and doctors yes. about any babies so yes. that when they want the comfort, whether it's in pregnancy or in labor, that the staff understands what they're doing. The medical people understand yes. what they're doing and can even help with that because aches and pains in pregnancy are not really necessary or designed. No. <laughs> And I, I hope you and Lisa have a wonderful pregnancy. Thank you. I know. I'm so excited. I've already gotten your daily essentials video. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm 11 weeks. So I'm like, okay, I guess I could start doing all this stuff now. But I'm like eager to like start yeah. all this cool stuff. <laughs> Skip the squats in first trimester. Yeah. Don't do squats unless you yeah. know, like people are squatting every day, several, many, many times a day. Yeah. And not in the gym, but rather while they're scraping their vegetables or planting their seeds. Right. Um, 
And other than that, you know, walking is a great thing for you to do and aligning your body for sleep. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. I already that. have I already have my yoga ball. Um, like I'm oh. sitting in a regular chair right now, but I have my yoga ball like in my office too to like sit on my yoga ball at my desk. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You yeah. might start with calf stretches. Oh yeah, yeah. We learned about that in the workshop. I remember. Yeah. No, that's perfect. I can I can definitely do those already. Well, cool. Okay, well, so thank you. Yeah. Maybe you and I can do a, a little podcast with spinning babies later in your pregnancy, or I yeah. can connect to yours when you're 30 weeks, and we can talk about daily essentials. Yeah, I'm down. That would be great. That would be great. Okay. Awesome. Right. Well, thank you so much, Gail, again for joining me. You're so welcome, Lisa. Are you looking for birth education? Did you know that I have two fabulous birth courses that are super affordable? Well, I do. Head over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast to take a short quiz to see which birth class is for you. When you purchase either birth course, you'll have full access to it forever. And that means it will never expire and you can access it throughout any stage of your pregnancy or for any subsequent pregnancies that you have. You'll also gain free access to my Facebook group, linked to the class where you can ask questions about your pregnancy, share your birth story after you give birth, read other people's birth stories, and get to know other members who are in the course. There is also a money back guarantee. So if you are at all unsatisfied with your purchase, please, please send me an email at hello at mommylaborers.com for a full refund. There's really no risk to signing up, and I promise you will learn a ton about what's to come when you give birth. As a listener of this podcast, you automatically get 20% off any purchase if you use the code PODCASTLISTENER. I've had tons of moms just like you enter these birth courses and have fabulous, wonderful, empowering births because they feel so much more educated about what's to happen. So if you are at all curious about birth education, again, I encourage you to go to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast and use the code podcast listener to save 20%. All right. So that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.